You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. It's so great to see you all here today. Thank you for braving the cold weather. And of course, thank you to Ockert for uh, joining us from Christ Trinity Lutheran. We appreciate you reading this morning. And uh, to those who couldn't make it because of the cold, no worries. Glad you could join us online. It's nice that we have that as an option. All right. uh, Last week, after taking a break from the Advent season, we had jumped back into our sermon series in Colossians. And uh, as such, we were encouraged to put on the new self, which we've graciously been given through Jesus Christ, which includes the, the, the fruit or the virtues of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love that binds us in unity. Now, in, in a perfect world, if everyone was all in on, on living just as Paul instructs us there, which I should mention is basically a quick run-through of what Jesus also teaches us in his discourse in the Sermon on the Mount, if everyone in the world lived like that, what do you think the result would be? Peace. World peace, right? Uh, of course, this isn't what we experience in this world because, well, humans and sin, To that end, as the Bible teaches us, we also know that the only way to live out those virtues is for our sinful hearts to have been transformed by Jesus and renewed by the Spirit of the living God. Without renewed hearts and minds, world peace will always be a no-go, and that's just plain obvious. Read, Read the news on any given day. We'll see articles about war, murder, crime, racism, genocide cancel culture, political partisan division, and, and more, right? And, and if you dare to look at the comment sections of any of those same articles online, or, or if you spend more than five minutes on social media, yikes, right? Uh, everywhere we look, we find that humans can at times be incredibly rude and, and demeaning and divisive, quick to anger and offense, prone to envy and, and being hurtful and reactionary and slanderous and unwilling to listen to others. The, the list goes on. The, and these are all characteristics which the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians labels as the works of the flesh. In light of all of this, how, how could we ever think that peace among humanity could, could be anything but a pipe dream? But yet, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Amen? And, and to that end, and, and maybe this will come as a surprise, but the church, the body of Christ, was designed and chosen by God to show the world that the impossible is, in fact, possible. That peace with him and among other humans is possible because of Jesus. Colossians 1, 19 to 20, we, we learned this earlier in the series, says, for in him all the fullness of God, in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus makes our peace with God and one another possible. And in Colossians 3, verse 15, which we'll be learning from this morning, 
Paul calls us to live out that peace as the body of Christ. So that, let's turn to Colossians 3, verse 15. That's the verse we're going to be learning from this morning. And it says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This is the word of God. Earlier this week, I, I stumbled on an article by a conservative satirical website called the Babylon Bee. You might have heard of that website. Full disclosure, I'm not always a fan of their posts, so just because I'm sharing this one doesn't mean I'm a fan of them all. But uh, sometimes I think satire has a way of drawing attention to our shortcomings and, and how silly or irrational we can be at times, like nothing else can, because it just, it just kind of pokes at it and makes fun of it, right? And, and, and I felt that this particular article was right on the nose, and it was timely for, for the message this week. So I'm going to show it to you. Liam, if you want to throw up the picture there. The article's titled, Unbeliever converted to Christianity after seeing Christians bicker with each other online. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read an excerpt from the piece, from the article. Remember, this is satire. This is not real. This didn't actually happen. It's poking fun. Anyways, it reads, it reads, the angels of heaven rejoice today at the addition of another member of God's kingdom as a local unbeliever converted to Christianity after seeing Christians bickering with each other online. The man who had spent his entire life attempting to resist the call of the Holy Spirit finally succumbed to the all-powerful drawing of God when he witnessed two professing believers viciously attacking each other on social media. This is what I want my life to be like, said Ethan Gregory after following the extended argument online. The way they were insulting each other, the anger I could sense radiating from their comments, it's really a compelling case to be a Christian. I can't run away from God. I want to be just like these guys. Count me in. And uh, the article goes on like that. But anyways, hopefully you get the point, which is that when we as Christians, as those who are supposed to be representing Jesus, the Prince of Peace, as one body, when we bicker or quarrel with one another, or even when we argue with non-Christians, especially in the public square, it's not a very good look, right? And, and of course, after seeing us like that, I guarantee no one's going to be lining up around the corner to join up, right? Especially because there's enough conflict and disagreement in the world and, and no sane person would want to sign up for more of it. In contrast to that, and, and even though we sometimes do a poor job at it, which is what our article is poking fun at, the body of Christ is actually meant to be a model of the peace of God to the world. As, as Paul states, this, this is our calling. This is who we're supposed to be, to demonstrate the fullness of peace we now have with God and with one another. A peace which, again, Jesus won for us at the cross when he defeated sin and death and broke down the wall of hostility. So, so to put it bluntly, when, when we're not living in peace and unity with one another, we're operating outside of our calling. I'll say that again. When we're not living in peace and unity with one another, we're operating outside of our calling. So to remain in conflict or to be in discord, especially with each other as believers, it, it looks nothing like Jesus and is in direct contrast to what he prayed for 
that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And yes, yes, I know that at one point Jesus said that he didn't come to bring peace on earth, but rather a sword. But I can tell you this, that if you're using that verse to justify your actions, to cut others down, to lash out in anger or condemn others or to promote division or unwanted criticism, revenge, slander, or quarreling, you're reading it wrong. You're reading it wrong. (laughs) What Jesus is implying there is that his truth, along with his claim to be the Savior, would naturally cause division among humanity. The, The gospel message that we need Jesus to save us is a direct affront against all that's evil, prideful, and false. And therefore, it causes those who are opposed to it to feel threatened and attacked by it. Bottom line is that Jesus' statement there is certainly not an invitation or a justification to be arrogant or violent or, or slanderous against other humans. Enmity and strife are always the result of the devil's work and a reflection of his kingdom, not God's. Romans 14, 17 tells us this. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. The the Romans were arguing about what they could eat or what they could drink, just silly stuff. And he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't sound better than like bickering and arguing? Righteousness, peace, and joy. That sounds much better. That's the kingdom that, that, that we're called and equipped by the Spirit to display on earth. This is why Jesus in, in Matthew 5, 9 also clearly says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Who are the children of God? The peacemakers. The children of God are peacemakers called to preserve, demonstrate, and cultivate peace in a world and, and in situations and places where peace is seemingly impossible. Again, it should rule our hearts. For this is what we're called to as the body of Christ. In fact, that word rule in Greek was often used to describe the, the umpire or official who would oversee an athletic competition. Of course, the, the referee's job in any sport, sometimes they do a bad job, but We're pretending this one does a good job. The referee's job in any given sport is, among other things, to to have the final say on matters of contention, right? And and to keep order by making sure everyone's playing by the rules. So Paul's using this word to tell us that, that peace, that the peace of God not only can but needs to work like an umpire or or referee in our hearts, minds, and emotions. It should always be the way of peace that has the final say. So when detrimental offenses or, or emotions like anger or impatience tempt us, or when anxiety takes root and, and we're tempted to think negatively or, or act irrationally, or when feelings of envy or, or pride or bitterness attempt to exert control over us or, or try to throw us into an emotional frenzy in our hearts or against others, we can actually stop it from happening by making the choice to let God's peace rise up from deep inside us like an umpire or a referee to moderate our emotions and our actions. As uh, Rick Renner writes, "When when this divine umpire called peace steps into the game, it suddenly begins to call the shots and make all the decisions instead of fretfulness, anxiety, and worry. 
course, our, our feelings and emotions can be powerful and, and can often get the better of us, right? Making us do or say things we shouldn't. None of us are perfect. But in Christ, they, they don't have to all the time. And, and when they do, the good news is we can still pursue peace through our own repentance, which I'll speak about a little later. Ultimately, what this means is that in any given situation that we as believers might find ourselves in, both within and even outside the church, whether we're in a financial or relational crisis, in the midst of a conflict or disagreement, when we're being persecuted, if, if someone is, is wronging or offending us, when we're, when we're being corrected for a wrong we committed, or when an injustice has occurred, or, or when someone has let us down, or when we're in an anxious or sorrowful, sorrowful or stress-inducing circumstance, whatever the situation might be, that has the potential to cause division, hurt, offense, or, or drama. A mature Christian whose, whose heart is ruled by the peace of God will always choose the path that will lead and, to and promote peace or restoration. When the peace of God rules our hearts, the amazing thing is that we can actually be a rational beacon and promoter of peace, harmony, and reconciliation wherever we find ourselves. Some people say we can be a non-anxious presence in the midst of chaos because we have the peace of God ruling our hearts. Romans 12, 16 to 18 says, live in harmony with one another. How do we do that? Well, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. All. That's the key word, with all. Are there exceptions in the word all? No, (laughs) there's not. All. Of, Of course, the flip side of this is that we can't control the actions of others as much as we might try sometimes, which means that peace or reconciliation with people isn't always possible. And, and as Jesus said, we'll be persecuted on account of him, right? So, but the point is that from our own end, we're called to do what's right and godly, as it says, as much as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. And, and this, is, this is all summed up so simply and directly in Psalm 34, verse 14. It says, turn away from evil, and do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Mic drop, right? That's, that's incredible. And this is exactly what we've been learning through Colossians 3 so far, and what we'll continue to learn. It, right? It's Paul was saying, put to death what is earthly in us. Why? So that we can do good to others by putting on the new self in the image of Christ, which therefore cultivates and promotes, promotes peace in the body of Christ, which brings glory to God. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're equipped to do. So practically speaking, then how how do we do it? How do we pursue peace? How do we allow peace to rule in our hearts as the body of Christ? Author Chris Martin writes, given that conflict is inherent in the human experience, scripture guides us to live to lives that are characterized by the pursuit of peace. We see healthy conflict throughout the Bible. It isn't like the Bible says to avoid all conflict, but we also see calls to make peace in whatever ways we're able. So letting Scripture be our guide then, 
let's ask, what, is, what does Scripture teach us about pursuing and cultivating peace? And I'm going to bring a few ideas to our attention this morning, and by a few, I mean nine, <laughs> nine-point sermon this morning. Of course, a book could be written on the subject of peace, and every, every point that I make can be a chapter, but I'm going to burn through them, except for a couple of them. Um, so... I encourage you, you know, if, if you hear something and you're like, that's interesting, dig into the Word, study it, see what it says. All right, so what does Scripture tell us about pursuing and cultivating peace? Well, the first point is, the, is incredibly important, is foundation, which is rest in the peace of Christ. Rest in the peace of Christ. Before we can live peaceably and, and pursue peace with others, it's important that we learn to rest in the peace ourselves. As, and as I mentioned earlier, Jesus is the, the only one who freely gives us that peace. The sin which kept us from knowing God was removed, and so through faith in him, we're no longer at enmity with God. Rather, we can now be at peace and in relationship with the Father. So, so ultimately, his presence and his words sealed in us through the Holy Spirit are the source and, and foundation of our peace. Uh, John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, but let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And just as we heard earlier in in Psalm 139, that no matter what we're going through, uh, we can rest and and find confidence in the truth and good news that the Lord is our peace and that wherever we go or whatever situation we find ourselves in, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Even, Even in the midst of the darkness, his light is there. And he'll never leave us and nothing can separate us from his love. Let that truth bring you peace. Which also means that we can approach his his throne with confidence. Like a child approaching their loving parent. And even and especially when we're we're stressed out or hurting or angry or, or bitter or afraid or anxious. He's ready and willing to listen. As it says in Peter's first letter, we can cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Or, or as it says in Philippians 4, 5 to 7, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That's key. The Lord is at hand. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some people have this this idea that in order to create peace, we have to hide our feelings and and bottle them up so that we don't cause any drama. I don't want to cause any drama. I'll just keep it to myself. But, But that's absolutely not the case. God cares about our feelings and our anxiety and all those things. And, and that's the point. Instead of allowing those things to rule us, we have someone to take those things to. We can unload them before the cross and, 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 and Christ can carry them and give us a peace beyond understanding in the midst of it. Peace that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. Peace that allows us, as, as King David wrote, to feast in the presence of our enemies. What, what a picture that is. Just imagine just feasting when all your enemies are just around you and you're just like, mm, I'm just going to enjoy this steak right now. You know, that's just that peace. And of course, then, as, as we learn to internally and individually rest in the peace and presence of God, 
It will cause us to seek and pursue peace externally and communally with others. We live out what's, what's in our heart, right? We'll become peacekeepers. Ephesians 4, 3 says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Which brings us to my next point, number two, which is it's important that we build up and, and pray for one another. We build up and pray for one another. We, we talked about this a lot last week, but if we're clothed in that new self, right, serving and loving one another with kindness, with compassion, patience, mercy, meekness, and forbearance, basically if we're focused on, on building each other up in love and humbly seeking the good of others before ourselves, the outcome of that will be peace. Peace will reign. Another aspect of this, of course, is to, is to ensure that, that we're praying for one another. You know, throughout the week, that, that we don't just, you know, bring attention to, to each other on Sunday morning, right? But that we're thinking about each other throughout the week and praying for one another. Um, from, our own end of thing, from our own end of things, I think that, that we'll find it quite difficult to quarrel or stay angry with or be divisive against those that we're, that we're truly praying and, and rooting for, right? Even when we disagree on things sometimes, for praying for one another, we, we want to see God's blessing in their lives, right? How could we be, stay mad at each other? And so if we want peace to rule, then we need to genuinely serve and be praying for one another. Brings us to the next point, which number three, repentance, confession, and forgiveness. So in order to have peace and maintain peace, we need to have a culture of repentance and confession. When we're able to humbly admit and sorrowfully admit sometimes when we're wrong and, and when we've been hurtful, and also where we can ask one another for prayer in the places that we're struggling. And again, peace is not about hiding our conflict or our struggles. It's about handling them in a way that will result in reconciliation and peace. Obviously, a huge part of that process is also forgiveness just as we were forgiven and reconciled with God, we need to be willing to forgive others. And guess what? Even when they don't ask for forgiveness or repent, we still need to be willing, for the sake of our own hearts, to forgive. This is what Jesus did for us. And also forgiveness ensures that bitterness and anger don't rule in our hearts. Forgiveness allows us to let go of those things. So ultimately, in order for peace to reign, both repentance and forgiveness need to be common practice among believers. Which leads us to number four, which is to be thankful. Be thankful. Right at the end of our verse this morning, Paul writes, and be thankful. It, it feels like tacked on as if it's an afterthought, but in actuality, he's simply returning us to a recurring theme, which we find throughout the letter, and, and in doing so, he's also connecting the importance of thanksgiving with peace. For it's only the person who's full of thanksgiving and content with all they have in Christ who's then able to live from a disposition of peace. Contentment and thankfulness also have the ability to put to death the temptations of, of envy, covetousness, greed, needing to have things done my way, and jealousy, you know, all, the, all these sins which can, off, which can so often create division and, and, and strife and, and grumbling amongst the body of Christ and, and humanity as a whole. As it says in James 4, 1-2, what causes quarrels and, and causes fights among you? Is it not this, 
that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Thanksgiving puts those things to death, right? So if we're to let peace rule in our hearts and in our church, we need to be people of thanksgiving and contentment rooted in Christ. Which brings us to the next point. Number five, we need to avoid useless controversies. Avoid useless controversies. Almost nothing dampens the the mood of a church more than those who just like to argue and complain about things that don't actually matter. Make big deals out of things that don't actually matter. Churches have famously and sadly split over the dumbest things. The dumbest things, like the color of the carpet, or, or how long men's beards should be, or, or if the drums should be hidden, or, or, or whatever else. And, and for what? Right? For what? The Bible tells us to avoid arguing over useless controversies and to avoid the people that do. Proverbs 17, 14 says, starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before a dispute breaks out. That's wisdom. Philippians 2, 14 to 16 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in in vain. So Paul's saying if if you're grumbling and and disputing and and being divisive, then then everything I've done is useless, right? He's saying don't don't do that. You guys are supposed to shine as lights in the world as children of God in peace. So if the peace of God rules in our hearts, we'll be able to to also recognize when grumbling about certain things or, or winning certain arguments won't really be worth it if, if, it's, if it's going to, to build walls or, or create division, right? And in fact, we'll be, we'll be willing to, you know, maybe meet halfway on, on things or, or we'll, we'll be willing to set aside our personal desires and opinions in order to allow others to have their own way with the color of the carpet or whatever, right? If that's what it takes to keep the peace because peace is priority, Peace is what should rule. Of course, that doesn't mean that, that we, we can't have discussions about things or, or express our opinions. Of course we can. We just need to do it with gentleness and love, which brings us to the next point, number six, which is communicate well. Communicate well. James 1.19 to 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So those those who've lasted in a a thriving marriage for more than a few months have, have definitely learned this lesson very quickly, that communication is key. Amen? Yeah, yeah. And, and more specifically, <coughs> excuse me, that it's better to listen than to speak. It's better to listen than to speak. And we can apply this as a church body as well. To, to that end, things that disrupt peace are assuming what someone's thinking 
without clarifying. That'll get us into trouble, right? Or the, the opposite, assuming they know what you're thinking without communicating that. Failure, which leads to this, failure to communicate expectations, which then makes us frustrated when they're not met. Being quick to anger when someone has a different opinion, not listening to others, and speaking reactively or over others without thinking about what we're going to say first. You know, those types of things. When, when we do those divisive things, they're signifying that, that, that we're only interested in our own opinions and in being right or, or in being in control, rather than actually caring about, caring about the opinions or feelings of the person that we're talking to. And so it's important that we're quick to listen, right? And of course, being quick to listen doesn't mean audibly hearing someone speak. It's deeper than that. It means genuinely, patiently, and sympathetically seeking to understand what, what someone is saying or, or how they're feeling or where they're coming from. In fact, if people did this more, and, and in the same vein, if they took the time to, to process and, and think about how to speak or respond to others in a spirit of love and gentleness before they spoke, instead of simply speaking on impulse or, or ruled by knee-jerk emotions or passive aggressiveness or whatever else, right? That there'd be a lot more peace in the world. And Paul will actually mention this later in his letter, Colossians 4, 6. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Which brings us to the next point. And, and this is a key one as well, which is trust in God's justice and righteousness. Trust in God's justice and righteousness. In, in, in the midst of of being hurt or, or offended, the temptation, of course, is to let our emotions or our anger have its way to the point where we inevitably throw any chance of peace out the window and, and by seeking our own form of justice or revenge, right? Whether that's with slander or violence or hurtful words or refusal to forgive or however we think, whatever we think that person deserves, right? But as it says in Romans, don't repay evil for evil, rather, Vengeance is God's. Ultimately, God is the only just judge. And again, he's also a God of grace and mercy and love. So we have to leave room for that. We've experienced that. We have to leave room for that, right? In other words, justice works properly and perfectly in his hands, not in ours. Not, our, not in ours. In fact, the promise of Christ is that when he returns again, everything will be made right. All injustices will be dealt with and, and justice will reign. That's our hope, right? And, and so if we desire to be peacemakers, th this is a truth that we must hold on to and trust in, especially when we find ourselves in those situations where the person who caused the hurt or sin refuses to repent or accept responsibility. In those types of circumstances, especially, we have to let peace reign in our hearts so we can forgive, so we can resist the temptation to lash out, trusting instead that God will ultimately deal with it in his way which is always the best way. That is, when we trust in God, we will be slow to anger and will be set free from, from erroneously taking his place and trying to enact our own form of justice or punishment ourselves. 
But, and, and I want to be clear here, as, as I said earlier, that this doesn't always mean we have to pretend everything's all right and, and that we shouldn't speak up when someone's hurt us or, or, or when we're in a disagreement, right? Which brings us to the next point, keeping in mind our communicating well, right? Which is number eight, deal with conflict and disagreements quickly. Deal with conflict and disagreements quickly. We're never supposed to ignore conflict or injustice, especially when it's occurring within the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. As I've mentioned earlier, some people in the name of not wanting to cause any drama or sometimes because of shame even, they think that the best thing to do is just not to tell anyone when they're being abused or manipulated or, or when they're in a disagreement or whatever, just, just to keep it quiet and, you know, bottle it all up inside to preserve the peace. But again, this is never, never, never the case. First of all, to hold on to your, your hurt or your bitterness or anger will only cause it to fester and grow and, and rule in your heart giving opportunity for the devil to do his work, which always ends in division and hate and brokenness, or what many today have dubbed church hurt. So when someone sins against you or, or against somebody else in the body, it's important that it's addressed and that it's called out sooner than later. We don't want to let these things fester. The key here, though, is that, that we, we address it in a way that reflects Christ and end, if possible, with the ultimate goal to bring peace and reconciliation, right? Peace is, is the priority. Of course, I, it's sad that I have to mention this, though, but if, if the sin is criminal in nature, then, then seeking justice through proper channels is also a worthy goal as well, absolutely. But again, let it never be from a place of revenge or hate. Let the peace of God rule in your heart, not those things. Be righteously angry, for sure, at, against injustices, absolutely. But don't let it lead to making you sin as well. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives us a fantastic model for dealing with potential divisions and, and offenses and, and, and discipline within the body of Christ. Matthew 18, 15 to 18, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, don't wait. Don't let it fest. If he sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Right? We don't need to make a big deal out of it. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Peace. Right? But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So again, deal with conflict and disagreements quickly and in a Christ-like manner. Which brings us to our final point this morning. To have peace, we need to focus on the mission. We need to focus on the mission. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Without revelation, people run wild, but one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Uh, the message translation 
says if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. In other words, if, if we don't know what God is calling us to do, and if we're not all on the same page and, and moving towards the same goal, the result will be us running wild in every direction and falling all over ourselves. And, and as I imagine this, and you guys falling all over yourselves, it is kind of funny, I have to admit. Um, but in reality, it wouldn't be very much fun, right? It wouldn't be very much fun. Because in that case, what we'd be experiencing would be, it would be an unhealthy mix of confusion and individualistic opinions and misplaced expectations leading to complaints and clashing opinions and lack of commitment and abandonment and quarreling and offense. But contrarily, if it, we're most blessed and, and in fact unstoppable as the church when we're uniformly focused on the same mission and stirred up with the same passion to go after it together. To put it simply, we become easily divided when we're chasing after separate things or when we lose sight of what's important or what's the priority. But peace and unity prevail when our priorities and purpose align. And, and our church's mission, if you don't know, our, our, our passion, if you will, which is straight out of the Bible, is to proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. That's, that's what we're all about. That's what we're all about, proclaiming the name of Jesus for the glory of God. And with our eyes and our hearts set then on, on, on the gospel and on the truth of Jesus Christ and his glory and making him known, we'll naturally stand together in unity, in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. So, as we begin this year, let's set our minds on Christ and His purpose for us. Let's, let's make that a priority so that when we feel our emotions getting the better of us or when we find ourselves in conflict with one another or with ourselves even, We'll be ready and willing to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. For this is what we've been called to as one body. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Finish with this verse. And it's a blessing. It says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Again, the Lord is at hand. We have his peace, which is beyond understanding.